This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back listening to Militantly Mixed. Main Hustle Media podcasts are recorded on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, Tongva, Hohokam, and Yucateco Maya people, and we wish to pay our respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Konnichi, what's up, cousins? Welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your sir auntie, Charmaine Fury, a.k.a. The Blasian Blurred, and this is episode 225. I did record a different intro for this episode earlier in the week, but with the recent news of what is happening in Israel and Palestine right now, I, I have been trying to figure out the way to address it with this audience who as mixed people from all over the world who descend from all over the world. I know there are many cousins amongst us that either share Jewish, Israeli, Hebrew ethnicities, Palestinian, Arabic, Middle Eastern ethnicities. And this being militantly mixed, I can't watch an ethnic cleansing unfold before our eyes and not address it. I understand that I, as a black Japanese British American, I do not have the place necessarily, or even the education, more importantly, to get into the deeper nuance of this conflict. And so I'm not going to attempt that because I don't have that background. I also don't think it matters that my spouse is mixed Palestinian um, I, I've shared that on the show before, so it's, it's not that it's not a public thing. He was not raised around that side of his family. In fact, we didn't meet that side of his family until we were in our late 20s. So he doesn't have the deeply personal connection, I suppose, to this conflict. But I feel it necessary for me to be honest that that, that does exist in my family. That connection does exist in my family. Despite that, I still say I'm not educated enough to speak on the nuance of this. (sighs) I mean, conflict's too small of a word to express it, but the conflict that has existed in this land and in this territory for thousands of years. But again, this is militantly mixed. And what I address is the liberation of people. What I am opposed to is a ethnic theocratic state. What I am opposed to is the genocide and ethnic cleansing of a people who have been stripped of their land and resources bit by bit by bit over the last hundred years because the current ruling party is an ally to the country that I was born in. Now I understand that there are many cousins amongst the listeners of this show that are of Jewish heritage that have a direct connection to that land as a person that may identify as Hebrew or a person that may identify as Israeli. I also know that amongst our cousins, 
we have several people that identify as Palestinian, Arabic, Middle Eastern. I can absolutely sit here and condemn the extreme actions of certain people on both sides of this conflict. I absolutely can. But what I will not do, what I will not get caught up in, is the attempt to claim that the average everyday citizen that has been forced into this tiny spot of land called Gaza, where their resources are stripped away, their homes are stripped away, their parents, their brothers, their aunts, their uncles, their grandfathers, their children are killed indiscriminately. What I will not do is pretend that how any of those people resist a Zionist theocratic ethnostate, that is not my place to condemn them for that, for the average everyday citizen. I understand that Hamas is a different entity. It's a political organization. It has been named a terrorist organization and it has committed atrocities against Israelis. I understand that. But I also understand that Israel is a Zionist state. It is a theocratic ethno-state. It is a state that has such powerful allies that they are constantly able to dehumanize a population of people to justify a genocide. That in less than 100 years of their own genocide being committed against them, they are using very similar tactics that the Nazis did against them, against the Palestinian people. And I cannot support that. And I understand that making a stand on any side of this conflict can change the way people feel about you. I'm not asking my audience to take my word for anything related to this because, again, this is not the oppression I've experienced. This is not the fight for liberation I've experienced. I don't know or understand what they are going through over there. But what I'm asking you to do is to listen to the regular people that are out there. While it is very difficult right now because resources have been cut across the board for them to get their message out, Israeli regular citizens, Palestinian regular citizens are managing to share their, their experiences. They're telling us what's happening over there. Those are the people we need to be paying attention to, not the ruling class, not the oppressors, because those people will profit off of what happens in this war. They absolutely will. But the average everyday person will suffer, will die defending themselves or protecting people that they love. And in this case, it goes beyond protecting people you love. And it's literally a fight for the survival of your people full stop. Again, I'm not asking you to take my word for anything full stop. I'm asking you to do the work. Pay attention. Listen to the people, the everyday citizens. Listen to them. Because on both sides of that border, 
a lot of them are saying the same things. A lot of them are saying that this is not their war. This is the ruling class. This is the oppressors. This is the Zionist state. You're seeing that in, in scholars. You're seeing that in rabbis. You're seeing that in grassroots organizers. You're seeing that in educators. You're seeing that in artists. You're seeing that in everyday citizens. That's where we need to be paying attention. That's the people we should be listening to. And in any way that we can support, if we live in a country or if we're from a country that is allied to the Zionist state, it's our duty now to be reaching out to our political parties, our controlling class, our ruling class, and implore them to side with humanity in this and not support a Zionist state and an ethnic cleansing. That is our responsibility. Uh, so again, I, I am not claiming any level of expertise, understanding, even comprehension of the depths of what's happening over there. Um, I'm just opposed to the ethnic cleansing of people. Full stop. Uh, so that is, that is the message of Militantly Mixed. That is, that is the position of, of myself, Charmaine, and of my show, Militantly Mixed. I am for the liberation of people and against an oppressive ruling class. Full stop. Um, it's hard to jump from that, uh, into today's episode, um, uh, what I had originally recorded was talking about the Be Your Mix Ass Self 2023 t-shirt and the fundraiser for the end of the year, but, um, I don't really feel like doing that right now. Um, so yeah, let's just jump into today's episode. My guest today is Nicole. She is a mixed Chinese and white Canadian who is married to a mixed Chinese and white Canadian, and they share a two-and-a-half-year-old, I think, a child. And this was the third, this is the last of the interviews that I did for last season that didn't make it into the season before I ended up going on a mental health hiatus. So I do want to just say thank you again to Akane, John, and Nicole for giving me the grace and the space that I needed um, to push their episode into this season versus last season when I really needed to take that break. Mental health-wise, I'm not out of the woods by any means, but um, I'm, I'm doing my best to work on things to try to get myself in a healthier state, uh, which for all of us right now seems to be very difficult given what's happening in the world. But again, thank you to Akane, John, and Nicole for giving me that space to push their episodes into this season. From here on out, or after this episode, from here on out, everything will be um, newly recorded uh, for this season specifically. Uh, my guest today, again, sorry, is Nicole. Uh, we talk a lot about, you know, about the mixedness of Nicole and her husband, but also what that will mean for their child, because they... Um, while they had completely different experiences, despite having the same mix, um, the awareness of what might have been missing in their upbringing, they will now have to instill in their child. Um, but again, just not knowing 
what your child will develop like as a mixed person when you're when you yourself are also mixed. It's it's pretty interesting. I think even to me, who doesn't have children, I uh, I got a lot of questions about about how you develop your child. You know, when you have that awareness as a mixed person. Uh, so without further ado, please join me in welcoming our latest cousin to the Military Mix family, Nicole. Today, I am joined by Nicole. Nicole, why don't you introduce yourself and let's get into it. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, my name is Nicole and been born and raised in Vancouver, BC, Canada. Uh, so 100% Canadian, but also uh, mixed Chinese, British, a few generations back. Um, <laughs> uh, kicking it in my, my early 30s, I guess I would say. Uh, I am a <laughs> creative project manager and also a semi-new mom as well I have a two and a half year old daughter so I'm I'm excited to get into this conversation so you and your partner share vaguely share the ethnic mixes and then on top of it you now have a child so you are both Chinese and and a white at least <laughs> some kind of a yeah. white and now your child is a product of both of you um let's talk about let's talk about being multi-generational kind of the same mixed family because I think that's fun <laughs> yeah I know I know I I've I've been trying to like look for other you know mixed couples the same mix or like celebrities I think I found maybe one or two but um I've always just growing up I was like it'd be awesome to find another like half Asian person maybe that's not the best term but um someone else who's like you know, mixed Chinese sure. and, and white, you know, someone that could identify with me. And I don't know if it was subconscious, you know, trying to find people with similar experiences. You just want but, to find your tribe, I mean, right? Like, exactly. <laughs> um, but also like just where I grew up and, you know, had a very prominent Asian community and that was my experience growing up. And we yeah met at summer camp and, you know, got married, but our experiences are actually so, so different. Like he's mm. Ukrainian, Chinese, grew up in North Vancouver, which is more predominantly white community, a little bit less mm. diverse. And I grew up in East Vancouver, which is literally a 30 minute drive away, but cannot be more different in terms of mm. the community, uh, the restaurants that are around, like, and, you know, languages that are spoken. Like, it's just, it's so, I can't believe how different it is. And mm. just with our experiences. So even though, you know, on paper, we have the same mix, like our experiences have been so different. And so it's definitely something that comes up often in conversation, usually brought up by me and he gets annoyed by me uh, for talking about <laughs> it. But it's just, it's something that's just more, maybe more negative experiences for me growing up to do with my my race, my ethnicities. And and then raising our daughter, you know, just even being pregnant and being like, I, I'm so curious what she'll look like. And what she'll look like, right. You know, yeah. Knowing you have no control over genetics and yeah. And so, and even her appearance, you know, as like obviously changes because like, they, they're this little squishy wrinkly baby and then mm -hmm. they keep growing up and hair color changes or their eye color her eye color didn't even come out till like six months so you know mm -hmm. it's definitely yeah an experience and something that 
yeah, we're just trying to figure out as we go in terms of like how we raise her and all that stuff. But sure, we'll get more into it. But that's like at a high level, <laughs> what, it, what it's been like for us. Do you feel like because you you were pregnant and then had a child that the the racial and our identity questions started popping up more often than when before she showed up? Yeah, I think it's it's sort of been a thing like, you know, even when our friends family found out we were getting married, they're like, oh, like two halfers getting together. It's <laughs> um, weird, such a weird term, but no, we're whole for whole people. But um yeah, it's definitely been, you know, because it's kind of classic when, you, when you're getting married, the next question is like, oh, when you're having kids, like so annoying. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, always people, I think people just being curious and excited for us and almost telling us what they think would happen. And they yeah. even made jokes of like, oh, if you had twins and one came out looking, <laughs> one came out looking full white, <laughs> if that would actually happen. And yeah, so it, it definitely was something that was talked about. And I was really, you know, curious and been anxious about because I think when you're pregnant too, it there's just so many nuances to like how, you know, people around you just feel like, oh, they, they can just talk about your baby as if like yeah. they're a person already and like feel weird because like you're still growing them in your body. And I'm like, why are you talking about what they're going to look like? It's so bizarre um, as if they have access to like, to like decide <laughs> those things. And I was like, I really have zero control over what she looks like. Like it's a total toss up, you know? I always thought it was weird the way people talk to pregnant people because like, I mean, especially if it's your first child, you don't know nothing. Like, it, this is going to be a genetic roll of dice, first of all. You have no idea what this child's going to turn out to look like or, or be like. And then on top of it, you have to plan their whole identity before they even get going. Like, it's kind of it's kind of weird. I, I tend to not even address the fact that a person's pregnant if I'm around them unless it's part of the conversation. Because I'm like, I don't know. I, I never had children so I'm like I don't know how to do this or I assume that at some point you just want to be a regular person and you don't necessarily want to be focused like the pregnancy aspect or or the motherhood maybe even aspect of like who you are as a person possibly yeah maybe no yeah no it, exactly it's yeah I had to bite my tongue and pick my battles you know those nine months <laughs> let something slide (laughs) you would think like we've we've survived so many generations at this point people are should probably not be nearly as awkward (laughs) about the way they talk about it but especially with mixed folks and because you're both mixed like yeah I I guess I could see how those kind of questions would come up and I mean I I also get like the whole curiosity of what is gonna I mean you literally don't know until they're there all of a sudden and then it's like is this an Asian baby? Is this a white baby? Is it a, is it a Asian? Like what, what's going to happen? Yeah. This has happened to my friends. I have, I have friends who have uh, one baby that does look more, you know, like those, the, the twins that they were talking about, possibly um, one looks more of one thing, one looks mm-hmm. more of the other. Their personalities are the opposite though. <laughs> like in my, in my co-host on my other show, Blurred Comics, he's got one daughter who looks white and one daughter who looks black, but their personalities would be assigned to the opposite if um if you got to know them a little bit which is pretty funny (laughs) yeah it's it's funny to watch that happen and then I've had friends who just the baby just changes ethnicities throughout their life like me I was a Japanese baby and then by the time I hit like five or six years old I became a mixed baby I don't know what happened but up until then I had I had no eyelid fold or nothing. It just popped up yeah. one day when I was like five or six years old. Wow! It just everything changed. Yeah. Because I look at baby pictures and I'm like, who? Where'd that Japanese kid go? Like, where, <laughs> what happened? It's, it's bizarre. Uh, one of the yeah. things that we kind of talked about a little bit offline before we got going was 
sort of the thing that happens to a lot of us is the way people assume what we are based off of how we look. And uh, one of the things that you had said to me was that it's, you know, it's obvious that you look more white, um, which, you know, because I'm a mixed person and also a mixed Asian, I'm like, "Mm, I don't know about that, but I'm sure that's what you deal with often. Uh, Is your husband, are they also more white appearing or white assumed too? Uh, I would say so. I think that's been the more common, like comments we've gotten is that we both are, more you know white assume white white presenting uh however you want to call it but um and I think I'm tr- I, I want to believe it's it's um you know you know subjective to a point but also mm-hmm. like and it, it's hard because growing up the, it's almost like I had a disposition of like being apologetic for it for some reason and uh. as if I needed to like admit it so it didn't seem like I was trying to you know act as if I looked super Chinese and um because I knew people probably didn't believe you know didn't feel the same way or didn't believe that and so I just sort of that was my that was my lens I would like kind of grew up with and it yeah. like was you know looking back I'm like oh that's so that's so you know it's sad when I think about it sometimes that I kind of like let that happen but when you're like a young child it's like you're a kid you, what, you yeah deal with it and yeah and that was my experience like from very young age and I think because of the Asian community I grew up in and even yeah just sort of always being told like oh you don't look as Asian as your your cousins who are full Asian so like obviously like, like, yeah that's not, shouldn't be saying um, <laughs> or just yeah even things like my both my Chinese grandparents they're they're still alive and they're like I've actually learned so much I've noticed they've changed so much over the last few years but when we were really young my brother and I and we have another set of cousins who are um, half white as well and they would put our like our photos and like class photos in the back room and they would have like our full Asian cousins photos in the living room where everyone could see. And it wasn't until maybe like when I was in my late teens that they moved those photos to the front of the living room. Wow. Um, Just kind of being like, and yeah, I just, I get, I almost felt like, Oh, there's something wrong with me. Like grandma doesn't like us as much, you know, Mm. something that's out of my control. I can't control like my parents and had kids. Um, And yeah and even recently like I've been more open talking to my mom about my experience and because there was even a couple instances came up during pregnancy but like doctors saying you know stupid microaggressions and stuff to me but Mm. just it sort of came up to the surface again and it might have just been because of COVID you know just more there was more hot topics coming around in culture and like I was like this actually is like a thing and I'm glad more people are talking about it Um, but my mom was kind of like why does this seem to bother you more than your brother uh, and I was like, well, have you even asked him about it? And she's like, yeah. oh, no, I never asked him about yeah. his experience. Um, but I am curious, like, I'd love to even chat with my brother about his experience growing up. But I, I know for a fact that he didn't seem to get as many comments as me. And I don't know if it's because, you know, he has his hair short his whole life, didn't really change his, mm-hmm. you know, his look too much. And I know that styling can really change how people perceive you to be for some reason, just based mm-hmm. on, you know, images or styling they've been exposed to in their life. Um, and even like stereotypical things that like he wore glasses most of his life. So I don't know if that has to do with it, you know, <laughs> don't want to, you know, force any of those stereotypes or anything, but right, yeah, yeah. And I think just women's and girls appearance is more judged like from a young age. So Absolutely. all these hard things were just like, I just always felt like I was always being questioned, like no way. Or like, you know, I'd always have to, I almost wanted to like make it the first thing in a conversation just to be like, Oh, by the way, you know, just to kind of get the shock. Yeah. Just get it out of the way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like, yeah, and always just always combated with like, no way, like, you know, these be Chinese, like, say something, like, all these things, just oh like, my gosh. have myself like prove it. And I'm, you know, and, I, and honestly, it wasn't until the last couple of years where I started to realize, like, it's, I don't need to do anything to deal with the fact that you're confused. Like, but mm-hmm. growing up, up until a few years ago, I was like, this is my mission. I need to fix this for them. 
people yeah. who don't understand my mix for some reason. So it's yeah. so crazy because, and I, over the years of doing this show, I realized that to a degree, I have a unique experience. Um, not that we're a monolith or anything like that, but there are some general things that most people bring up when they come on the show that I didn't experience. And one of those things is that because my, both of my parents are biracial and my whole set of aunts and uncles are biracial and all of my cousins are either biracial or triracial or something to that extent. I grew up around mixed people all the time. I just lived with a whole bunch of mixed people most of my life. And, and while I do have one monoracial grandmother who is British and, and two great grandparents who were monoracial Japanese and one grandma who's monoracial Japanese um, and one monoracial black grandfather, I, most of the people in my life were multiple things. And so I always sort of had that around me and I had a little bit, I probably like mixed confidence, you know, in, in quotes, uh, growing up. And then I also was a military kid, which in the States means, yeah, everybody's mixed because somebody went to some country and brought home a yellow bride or a brown bride or something like that. And that's just, that's just how um, a lot of my friends that I'm still friends with that I grew up around, we're, we all have that very similar um, dynamic. And so for us, we were talking about it all the time. Some, well, some of us, because like I don't have this conversation with my brother ever. He doesn't like to talk about uh, race and identity. Um, and I mostly end up having these conversations with women, even on the show, like women or non-binary identified people tend to be the ones who come on the show and want to talk about it. Um, I, I fight really sometimes to try to get more male representation or masculine representation on the show just to get an idea of like how do they get addressed? Because for us, it's almost always some kind of exoticism, fetishism, something like that going on with how we look. And given that we shift so much throughout our life, like I said, I, I started my life out as a full Japanese kid. I mean, I had to cut and everything. Um, and then as I got older, my black features became more obvious. And so it was, uh, and then I just lived in a black community. So I just mostly mm -hmm. associated that way. And now as an adult, I mean, I'm Dominican, I guess now, but, um, <laughs> you know, that's, and that's just all to do with like how somebody perceives me when I'm walking around. But it's interesting to think that you can grow up in the same family and have all different kinds of experiences. So your daughter is going to be very similar probably to me in that she's the generation that follows the, the mixed parents, the two biracial parents. And with you probably more being more vocal about the identity piece, maybe than your husband. I mean, I don't know him, but from what you kind of said, it'll be interesting to see how she develops her idea of what it means to be like a mixed Chinese and white person, but not a biracial person necessarily because she doesn't have biracial or she doesn't have interracial parents. So uh, for me, I will say that I always understood that my parents were different colors as a child. I didn't necessarily know what that meant until I got a little bit older, but I think I thought of it in terms, like I've, I've said this before, like I thought about it in terms of uh, like a lion is a tan color and a tiger is orange, but they're both cats, right? Like I think that yeah. was kind of what I understood. Like they just come out that way sometimes um, or how puppies always look different colors and sometimes they're from the same, you know, litter or something like that. Um, I think that is the way I was conceiving of it as a child. And it, it really wasn't until people started asking the questions that I had to, figure out what my identity was going to be. But I'm, I'm always curious about the multi-generational kids, especially if the mix is the same. Because for me, I've got white, different kinds of white and black and Japanese. But for them, they're going to have different kinds of white and Chinese. That'll be interesting. 
with the Asian community you grew up in, were they mostly Chinese or was it a, like a vast array of mix or uh, of different Asians represented in the community you grew up in? Yeah, it was, I, I want to say like mostly Chinese, but, but also Fili a lot of Filipinos and, um, and then Vietnamese and then, and then Korean, maybe a bit smaller, but that was in, in my high school, like even extended friend group. Um, I would say I was one of the only like person who was part white, but every, like there was a mix of all Asians. But all um, Asians? Yeah. But even in my, like, in my core friend group, I was the only, like, I, I literally consider myself the token white girl, even though I knew I was, you know, I was not 100% yeah. white. That was sort of how I was framed, even from all my friends' parents, like, oh, you're, that's your white friend. Um, I get and, that, yeah. Yeah. And so it was so bizarre. Even like, yeah, the first time going to like, like summer camp. Uh, and it was, it, it was uh, like a church camp, like back when I was a teenager. And I guess, in back then maybe even now that community is predominantly more you know more white um mm. less diverse and I remember going there my it was that was my first time just being around so many like white kids and I in on the inside I felt off like I felt like I didn't belong but I, mm. I know on the outside I might have visibly fit in better but I like sure. I literally felt like I didn't fit in and it was like I think at the time I couldn't articulate it I don't think I was like in grade sure. five or something but that was like my first experience where I was like whoa like I feel weird but uh, but no one really treated me any differently. So I almost got treated differently in a community I, I, I like felt more comfortable in. in. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's such a bizarre experience. I, yeah. that, it makes complete sense to me, though, because like as a, as a, a kid that, that was mixed Asian and grew up around a lot of different Asians, I wasn't a part of the Asian club. Like it was always kind of accepted that I was black, even though I looked the way that I look. Uh, which I would say color wise and hair texture wise, I lean more Asian, but because my black features are so dominant, I'm not, you know, the quote Asian enough, you know, to necessarily have like an Asian identity when I was growing up. Um, and then here in, in the, well, here, back when I was in the States, like all the Asians are clumped together, even the ones that don't get along. So you end up having to develop a very specific like Asian American identity versus like I'm a Japanese American or something like that. Is that, does that kind of how it happens in Canada too? Or are they, do you uh, well, get to just stay? So, like, yeah. Canada is just so big. I would say it's more like an East coast, West coast thing. So I would say mm. like our culture in Vancouver is more similar to like Seattle, Portland, LA, okay. I would say. So I think there is more, general knowledge of like the different Asian ethnicities <laughs> that someone can be um, where I would say more East coast and middle of the country. Like I would say maybe that's a better comparison than like Canada versus um, the States. I'm um, just from, from my experience, uh, mm. like and, yeah, anything on West coast, just the immigration and stuff, they're just going to be more diversity maybe, and then therefore more specific communities. Like, like we have like a Chinatown, like Filipino mm. town. We have, them, we like have them all just in Vancouver. So I would say, general awareness is good but I think even just knowing my experience or the experience of my Asian friends growing up I could tell that you know they like that they had their own struggles with what it was to be Asian Canadian and like you know I love to talk to them more about that so I, I don't know if I can speak fully for them that's just sort of my mm. perception and observation here yeah with your with your grandparents I mean, besides the photo, the photo thing, I, I also get like we had to keep from the Japanese side what we were mixed with um, in our family. Anyways, uh, did you did they include you in in cultural practices and things like that beyond like just being at home with them on occasion or something like that? 
Yeah, we did. Um, I mean, in terms of my experience of my Chinese culture, I guess I would describe it as like whatever the Vancouver, like Cantonese version of that is. Like it is very kind of specific Chinese culture here. And so we did do all the dinners. Uh, we celebrate Chinese New Year, got the red envelopes, mm. which is always awesome. <laughs> Love a red and, envelope. <laughs> yeah, um, but now that I'm married, I have to give them out, which sucks. Yes. But anyways, um, yeah, so I, I think I felt include, included in the culture. Like, I don't think they ever limited me from experiencing things. I think it was just more like calling out, like, oh, just more of appearance or like, you mm. don't speak Chinese. And it's a lot of things that were out of my control. Like, my parents didn't put me in Chinese school. Like, we spoke a, a right. little bit around the house, but mainly just like food or like my mom would yell at us in Chinese because I don't know, it just sounds more like <laughs> it just comes it off gets in a, a job done. different tone. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's just, I think it's just more like even out in public with my mom, like, like, obviously, I just grew up in a very Chinese community, like eating Chinese food all the time, going to restaurants mm. and always questioned like you need do you need a fork do you want water like instead of yeah. tea like questioning you know whether I'm actually my mom's daughter and um, yeah and her and I even right before COVID traveled to Tokyo together just her and I and we got so many looks like and I guess I wasn't expecting that because we're going to like a fairly like went to Tokyo it's like uh, I thought I thought it'd be like you know a lot of tourists walking around and stuff and mm, um, and it's fine I always, I always <laughs> expect looks and stuff and I think yeah. that's okay but I think even in your own community it's hard like people always being like oh is this your daughter-in-law like no one ever believes you know that we're related yeah. and I think she might feel bad you know bad too like something she, like, she did something wrong of why like she would make comments growing up like oh why are my Chinese jeans like not strong enough and like that's just mm. like not something you can control like even yeah like my husband and I both have dark hair and dark eyes but our daughter like came out with like hazel eyes and lighter hair mm. um, and so I was I sometimes have to catch myself to be like don't be mad that she's gonna people are gonna assume she's white because you have no control yeah. over genetics she actually looks really cute really unique like she's beautiful and mm -hmm. you know even her um her cut like she has two baby cousins and um they're only I guess a quarter Chinese do the math there um but one of them came just came out looking like pretty Chinese like I guess from my observation like dark darker hair just some of the features mm -hmm. and I and sometimes in my mind I'm like oh shoot like you know growing up they're gonna be like what you're more Chinese than your cousin like I'm just like imagining scenarios yeah there, where I'm like thinking about the hurts I experienced as a child and I'm like I don't want my daughter to experience that like at yeah. all um or at least be prepared for aunt yeah. for discussing it when when it happens because I think that was something that like our even though I'm technically a multi-generational kid myself um my parents were born when you still weren't talking about that kind of stuff so catching me like my parents did really good when racist things happened like they could stop me and explain racism and the repercussions of what just happened and blah blah blah, blah. but when it came down to like why does everybody think you're white or you're, you know, this, or like, um, that was never something they could do with me or like getting made fun of for having big lips as a kid where the black kids weren't getting made fun of for that. But because I was pale, I was getting made fun of for that. And really the only difference is that I'm, I'm black, but you can't tell, you know, like that's, that's what yeah. I'm being made fun of. And I just, like, I just wish my parents could have been there in those moments for me to to be able to talk about it and so the the fact that you're kind of working through those types of things now so that by the time it starts to happen to her because I mean it just will you know it just even the slightest little bit of ambiguity you know yeah. will be some something will make someone think like I don't I can't code you all the way so I need to I need to other you to figure out what to do um I think yeah. that'll it'll go so far 
you know, it'll go so far for um, helping her get through those kinds of moments. And I think, you know, to a degree, you probably remember invalidating moments like that growing up and and Mm -hmm. how you felt. And you could probably think a little bit back of like, what would have helped for my parents to say to me right then and and maybe apply that. Because there's so many of the like, even I mean, even at 45 years old, it still happens to me where I'll like have a memory of something. I'll be like, man, if my mom had just said or, you know, yeah. or whatever it was instead yeah. of, like my mom usually just wanted to fight everybody like she would literally just start a fight instead of just stop to take care of them, the person who did the bad invalidating thing, but not to me to be like, OK, yeah, just still do you was, yeah, you know, like it would have been nice to have that kind of things. And I, I'm hoping that the younger generation of mixed yeah. people get access to something like that because yeah. we're finally aware of how we need oh, to, definitely. to talk about it. Yeah, I have like retroactive arguments in my mind or like when I'm in the shower, <laughs> when I'm going to sleep, whatever. I'm like pretend arguing with, with someone yeah. who said something like four years ago. <laughs> like, yeah, and you know, like sometimes it's not like, especially with our families are concerned, it's not all of it is their fault. Like they're products of their generation. They're products of their parents that came before them. You know, my grandparents would have been boomers. My parents would have been gen uh, gen ex and so am I because they were teenagers when they had me mm-hmm. uh so like we're part of the same generations things like that so like the the things that their parents could have prepared them for there wasn't even language yet of how they could talk about it so to a degree I can give them grace for it but at some point like when I was five and I was crying about being called something like this there wasn't anything you could have said you know like even though your parents didn't talk to you about this kind of stuff like I think there's a mix of between like there was a responsibility to handle it for us, but also you didn't have the language to have it. And I think now we have better language. I mean, we're still struggling mm-hmm. with certain terms, like we were talking about earlier uh, with presenting, assuming and passing, like we're just, we're still working it out, but at least we're, yeah. we have some language. Uh, one of the things that you said to me also was um, because your husband and you have the opposite um parental mm-hmm. mix where like your mother is your Chinese parent mm-hmm. and your and their father is their mm-hmm. Chinese parent that maybe his Chineseness wasn't questioned as much as yours probably because the father aspect of it and the last name yeah um yes definitely and then you got yeah. you got married and you take on yeah. your Chinese name did anything switch for you yeah I mean I, I really was excited because Obviously, um, most, I'm sure most women are sad to give up their maiden name. And I love my maiden name, and I still do. But it, I was sort of like, yes, now people won't be confused. But then right. also, it actually adds a layer of complexity, because now they're like, oh, but wait, like, but you took your husband's name. So I think actually more people are like, oh, you're like some white girl who married an Asian guy. Like, that's sort mm. of like, you know, one time I was picking up an online order from Walmart, and I had to give my last name. So I said it. And then the worker was like, oh is your husband oriental and I was like <gasps> just say that I was like, oh I'm like so still so triggered by that word <laughs> I know I had to bite I had to bite my tongue hard I was like can I just have my thing and go home please just um please. anyways it was yeah but yeah and so part of me is like it's easier in some ways because people sort of subconsciously put two and two together when you have an Asian last name and I didn't have that growing up so it's another level of I have to convince you in Chinese mm-hmm. um and maybe for my husband there was so much assumption built in with knowing his last name growing mm-hmm. up that like they just didn't ask or maybe they just didn't care to ask or like sure. you know, maybe you know and and then our daughter you know has that last name too and so I'm thinking you know maybe 
like there won't be a huge issue and you know sometimes I'm like maybe her generation will be so woke maybe I'm just like yeah <laughs> they won't like there's gonna there it's gonna be more like oh you're not mixed like that's gonna be the right yeah something like eventually. that eventually um but yeah <laughs> I, I I wonder about about that because so I told you like I've had this kind of conversation with several people who share a similar mix to you on the show and I'm always surprised that they get that they look more white as often as they as they do for for every person who's been on my show that at some point has said I know I look more white I just like but how can people not tell like and I know I have a different experience yeah. I have an Asian grandparent I have mixed Asian and white mom and aunts and stuff like that like I, I get why I can see it, but it just seems so obvious to me that you you would be a mixed Asian. Mm -hmm. I just can't figure out what kind of Asian, you know, like I know it's there, but I, I don't know what kind, you know, like the same with me. No one would ever guess that I was Japanese. If they think I'm Asian, they think I'm Filipino. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm brown, yeah. you know, I'm browner and, mm -hmm. you know, I, I have a vaguely Asian thing when my hair is a different color and stuff like that so like I get it but um it always surprises me like when someone looks like you that's that's that someone will just brush past like oh yeah just white that makes sense to me yeah. looking the way that you look like I I see a mixed Asian yeah even growing up like I guess because you like analyze I guess yeah. if you're mixed and you, you want to see you want to like identify with other people you just like you, probably just the way you learn facial recognition even from a young age is probably just so more expensive and different. And like for me, like I, I think just for my, I, I've been looking at mixed people's faces my whole life. I feel like mm -hmm. I, I, I can sometimes guess like the exact Asian someone is if they're mixed. Um, but I try not to guess because that's not what you should do ever. But um, like I have sort of medium brown hair and like light brown eyes and freckles where I think a lot of mixed people I've seen sometimes either have that really cool like light hair brown and like mm -hmm. lighter eye or something more specific where I think maybe it's like the British Irish side of me but like I think when people think like oh you have freckles like that's not an Asian thing it's like mm -hmm. um and I, the people who have been able to recognize that I'm mixed the most were other mixed people so what you're saying is not a surprise yeah. to me at all just for right. you, you try to find your tribe as you would say or you just yeah. want to like meet people with similar experiences to you and and more often than not it's been it's been people who are who are full white that would you know be con would convey confusion about my ethnicity or question it I think it's more the Asian community like maybe they they've probably done more face you know analyzing different faces growing up just based on like wanting you know there there is like a a negative thing in the kind of Asian culture or, or maybe just based on hurt where they want to look more white and so I know there's especially in Korean culture, Japanese culture, where like they want the double eyelid and all these things. So I think, I think just, you know, white people just haven't had to really think about like what people look yeah. like growing up. And that's just like a product of all that. So it's weird because I, I feel like I've, I've, I've heard both sides of it where like you're, you look a little bit vaguely Asian and then you're kind of an exotic white. And so there's an excited, mm -hmm. an excitement about that appearance. And then the other side of it is just like, you couldn't possibly be Asian but I feel like the story is different every time. Like you could stand next to white people and see mm -hmm. more white or more Asian or be around more Asian people and see more white or more Asian, just depending on the people that you're standing next to. And like, I'm a person that definitely looks more black, the more black people I'm around. Um, but I don't know. Evidently I just look Latina when I'm, by myself so I don't I don't know I, I think people are picking up on the black features and that's and the brown skin and being like oh so the only people who look like that are Latin 
Um, but I don't know what I don't know what happens with with mixed white Asians because very few like very few people could pick up that my mom was Asian, but her sisters you could. But my mm -hmm. mom would get really upset about that, like that people would only see a white person, and um, and for me that had a lot to do with her aesthetic. Like she dyed her hair blonde, and she you know mm -hmm. things like that. Like I, I think she actively unconsciously maybe made herself look more white and then want to fight you if you thought she was white. It was very, yeah. very aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, I, I mean, I resonate with that. Like, I, I think I, not even subconsciously, like, I know what colors for some reason make me look more white and I, and I, and it's, oh, it's sad, but also it's like, yeah, just, you know, I, I'm always hesitant to do certain hairstyles or like when I curl my hair, I just like, I'm just like always afraid of like looking more white. And it's just hard, like, you, you don't want yeah. every every day to like question what you're wearing, <laughs> your <laughs> colors. And I even find myself with my daughter too, where I'm like, oh, like she looks more Asian in these colors, just like me. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that to her. Right. Like, I get the impulse though. Wears. I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's funny how we, even as we get more confident in our identity, sometimes you just need that little random validation thing. Just, you know, with the exception of Filipino, I never got clocked as an East Asian. Um, so, I, I mean, I said that weird. Mm -hmm. I never got clocked as an Asian unless they thought I was Filipino. But if they okay. thought I was Asian, they didn't think I was an East Asian. Post, like, since COVID started, though, people were seeing me as an East Asian for the first time. Once I started wearing masks, I also shaved my head so my hair was growing out in a boy spiky mm -hmm. situation. And I think people could tell more, you know, I probably coded more Japanese or, or at least East Asian. So I was getting that for the first time. And it sent me into a whole weird spiral. I was like, I've never been seen. I've never been perceived as an Asian before. So I, I, it like, I had to work on my identity a little bit with it because it was so confusing. I'd, I've never been seen as an Asian before. And even within my Japanese family, I'm an American, you know, so they're, they're not really concerned about me having a Japanese identity necessarily. Um, so that kind of stuff is always weird to, to play with. Like I'm feeling more, I'm feeling more permission, even though it's like an internal permission to engage in Asian spaces now in a way that I didn't have when mm -hmm. I was younger, because I was pretty much black until I moved out of my neighborhood. And then I became mixed because people started asking me what I was, you know, um, yeah. now I'm starting to become a little Asian and it's, a whole you know it's just a whole new chapter yeah. like I got a whole a whole yeah. new learning curve to kind of to go through yeah. um yeah and I think you know we touched on this a little bit when we we're offline I think the genericness of whiteness when you grow up in a country like Canada or the or mm -hmm. the United States you're just you might know what you are but you don't know what you are you know like you don't have no, there's no traditions passed down there's no very mm -hmm. specific thing I mean in my case the British is the only thing that did because I, my Nana is from England. So I had mm -hmm. it directly, but for my other side of the family, who is like a white Appalachian, German, Irish, Scottish mix of some sort, they were neither German nor Irish, nor Scottish. They were Appalachian. So, and I didn't grow yeah. around them. So I don't know what that is like. So it's just more of a fun fact about Charmaine versus like something that I have any kind of access to or, or really any interest in because it, it was so yeah. far far away and so it's hard to be like well do you feel white you know like as a mixed person you know yeah. like even though even though you might look it or some people might mistake you for we always tend to feel 
in quotes, <laughs> more whatever the other part is outside of the whiteness. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess the question that I kind of ask in this regard is like, in the way that you can be like invalidated as a mixed Asian, do you feel like you're lacking anything as a mixed white person? That's hard. I feel like similar to your experience, I feel like that sort of like has been shaped as how, how other people have treated me, which is not mm -hmm. obviously not ideal, but that's just sort of what, what happens. Yeah. Um, and so I know I, and it's hard, especially during COVID, like I felt more permission to talk about my race because of BLM and there's stuff happening where I was like, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. Like the people are talking about this. But at the same time, like there were hate crimes happening towards Asian people because of COVID. Um, and, and so it made me just think about all these things where I'm like, I'm like, I have to accept I have white privilege and I don't want to, I'm not, never going to deny that. Um, mm. And I don't think I've, I think if anything, my experience has been like the, like my quote unquote white side has never been like denied from, from me in the same way. It's always the assumed part. Like I, I always want to do this test. I, I always like, I'm curious about like testing with someone. If someone asks what my mix is, if I just said, oh, I'm half white. I'm curious what their response would be. Cause I always say I'm half Asian because the white side is just like, from my, from my experience is like assumed yeah. um and yeah and so and so it's sometimes I'm you know I'm just careful with like how much I talk about this or how much I try to advocate for myself and my experience because I know that just based on how culture is and how I'm perceived like I'm never going to be attacked in public for looking mm. Asian you know and like mm. but I get sad when I know my friends or my grandparents or my mom would be sure, but like yeah that's a privilege that I have and I think from how people have treated me or discussions I've had, I think sometimes people think, oh, well, because you have white privilege, that means you shouldn't have any, any like, you know, sadness or hurt about your race at all because you have this. But I, I think what we need to do just as a culture and like talking about this is just allow for all these levels of complexity. Cause it's like, I'm a, mm -hmm. like, I will never deny that I have experienced white privilege on, on the daily. Like that's, that's just mm -hmm. how it is. And I will accept that but I can still explain that I have heard at the same time and like that all those things can be happening at the same time. And one doesn't need to like negate the other. Right. And, right. you know, and, and that's sort of how I think the sort of thing I try to like educate people on and try to tell them is like, it's okay. Like I'm not going to deny that I experienced, you know, white privilege and I've never denied the fact that I'm white, which is a weird thing to say. Um, but you know, at the mm -hmm. same time, like I feel hurt because I feel like I don't feel accepted or I don't belong and, and anyone group right. or I'm not, I'm never, I'm never, I'm only treated based on my appearance and, and no one asks me any questions. Um, and that's right. sort of, yeah. But, yeah. That's sort of like the new thing I'm like trying to get out the message I'm trying to get out there. No, I mean, I think people assume that the, the existence of privilege means the non-existence of not privilege or, or anything else. Right. So just because you may experience more privilege as an assumed white person, or at least, white adjacent more white adjacent or something like that doesn't mean that the lack of access to an asian identity like a granted asian identity versus what you hold within yourself that's a different thing but like the literal like people denying your asianness in some cases that is that thing happens and it hurts so it doesn't matter that you experience white privilege it is that you experience that whatever that is mm -hmm. that invalidation or that denial or even just the playing down like because you get the privilege you shouldn't feel bad about the things you feel bad about what like how how can you yeah. not like it's it's a thing of especially I assume this for for biracial people because it's not my experience because I'm not biracial but if you if you're technically 
half and half, you know, if we're going to get into the fr fractions mm -hmm. of it all, if you're half white and half Asian, then why would experiencing privilege of one side and lack of privilege of the other not hurt? Because if you, yeah. if you view yourself as a full person, which you are, then both of those experiences are happening at the same time, you know? Yeah, exactly. So you and should, you should be able to feel yeah. what you feel. Yeah. And like normally white, because like we talked about watering down of European culture, you know, if you're like third generation in Canada or the States or whatever, like, like the white side is just like not defined in a way. And so, but like, like we, for, for Christmas one year, my mother-in-law did buy us all like deep, like ancestry kits. Um, and we like did them all and like, you know, the breakdown and if nothing was a surprise, but like, mm. if you really break it down by ethnicity, not by race, like I'm actually more Chinese than anything else. Like I'm 50%. Um, mm, mm. and so, and so when someone says like, oh, you're, you're, you don't, I don't think of you as Asian. Like, I don't know what they're using to define that by, like my yeah. assumption is just appearance, which is really sad and it sucks because it doesn't, doesn't allow for you to learn about someone. Like there's just so many nuances. It's like, yeah. okay, a, yeah, what, what you look like is only one thing. Um, like what your actual DNA breakdown is kind of, you know, important could be interesting. Like what community did you grow up in? Like, well, how do you actually right, identify yeah. with the culture? What's your like, home culture? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That always drives me crazy because like to not be Asian enough or to not be Japanese enough, I grew up inside my Japanese grandmother's house for for a big portion of my mm -hmm. childhood, or at least it was the return base. Whenever my mom or dad, because they were teen parents, would get a crazy idea for us to go move somewhere, whenever it failed, we always went back to my grandma's house. So I was always in orbit of my Japanese-ness growing up, even when... Um, even when I was surrounded more by black people, uh, I do refer to it as weekend Japanese because it wasn't like a, I didn't get to be Japanese outside, <laughs> you know, like I got yeah. to be Japanese at home, but I didn't get to be Japanese outside. Yeah. And so like, if you're going to downplay it like that, then, okay, I'm Japanese on the weekends, but during the week, I, I'm mostly a black kid or something. Um, but you know, I watched my grandma cook. I, I listened to her on her phone calls with her sister, you know, like um, I picked up what Japanese I picked up because she didn't actively teach it and things like that. So to tell me that the person who had a huge influence on my childhood, my Japanese grandmother, who I always was in my mind, home base. When my parents were mm -hmm. out there being crazy, grandma was home base. If she's my home base, how am I not Japanese enough? You know, like she's the one who yeah. gave me a whole lot of my cultural access. So if you don't get to know me and you don't hear me talk about her as much as I talk about her, um, then you get to decide if I'm Japanese enough. Like that's wild to me. And yet everybody seems to have the same experience where somebody tells them that because of the way you look, I, you couldn't possibly have this experience that it's you know you don't you don't see me at home you don't know how asian i am and uh it, it's it's just one of those things that i i hope that as we have more of these conversations it spreads a little bit like in the beginning i had a lot of white women who had multiracial children listen to the show i don't know if that demographic still exists as much as it used to um but, but in the beginning that was the bulk of my audience and the emails that I would get from them were very clearly a privileged white person who was just trying to figure out how I could make them feel better about them having mixed kids. And I'm, that's not my show. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure there's a show out there for you, but that's not me. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm mostly going to tell you things that are going to make you feel bad because I'm like, here's how you're fucking up. You know, <laughs> basically, yeah. here's how you're not preparing. Yeah, here's all the mistakes you made. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. And I, I feel that the thing, the thing about whiteness... This is what it is. 
as a as a descendant of African enslavement in the United States, Black Americans are a new thing. We're considered a new ethnicity now, right? Like 400 years of enslavement in the United States, we are now, we're not African anymore. We might be considered African-American if that's the term you like to use. But but if you if you travel as a Black American, if you travel to other countries where Black people exist, we're a different thing to them. So we're our own thing now. That doesn't seem to carry with white Canadians or white Americans. They're Americans or they're Canadians. So they technically are assumed a totally different thing, but they're not granted the same kind of like, you're a new ethnicity thing necessarily in conversation in the way, in the same way that it is for, for black Americans, I think. And I, I don't specifically know if, if black Canadians um, have that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but you know, we don't have a home, like as black Americans, we don't have a home to go back to necessarily, even if we take a DNA test and we figure out where we're from, mm-hmm. we're too yeah. removed from the continent to be able to just go back. Uh, I think white Americans, white Canadians are the same thing. Like you can just pack up and go back after seven generations or, you know, even three or four generations. You can't just go back and like figure it out. You know, you're not raised with those cultural practices. Whereas like, I think I have yeah. a glimpse into Japanese-ness enough that I could spend some time in Japan. I will definitely be a foreigner, but I will be a foreigner of Japanese descent and Japanese culture, you know? Yeah. And they just that they think they have more permission to grant me <laughs> access on the outside of yeah. me than me to grant myself access is the thing that I, I really hope gets sort of undone. If people yeah. who are monoracial listen to this show, I hope they pay attention to stuff like that so that they can call their peers out when it happens. Cause I'm tired of us having to do the work. It's um, we're not yeah. paid for it and it sucks that we have to do it. So yeah. Often. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We are coming a little bit to the end. So what I do like to ask all of my guests who come on the show is um, what is something that you love most about being mixed? I would say yeah, growing up, even though it was like a, an area of like hurt, it did make me feel like unique and special. And like I had maybe access to certain things that other people didn't. Not to say that I'm like better than anyone, but just sort of like, you know, especially as a kid, you want to feel encouraged. And like there were yeah. positives about it too, just to feel like, yeah, like, you know, and, and just sort of be, you know, some sort of hope for, you know, the world, you know, accepting each other and like mm. realizing that it's not just what you look like and to almost understand people's culture, be curious, ask questions. Like, that's what I love about being mixed is like, even though I probably cause a lot of annoyances with people I bring you up do all not. the time. But like, I'm, <laughs> it's I'm, their own thing. I'm, like, this is where <laughs> the world is going. Like, like, there's going to be, I mean, we won't be alive for this time, but there's going to be, you know, a time where no one is going to look like what you think they are. No one's mm-hmm. going to match what you assume they are. So um, I'm just, yeah, you know, even in having like fully mixed family and like, like yourself, like that's amazing to, and you have like cousins and aunts and uncles, like just being able to just, um, yeah, put out that, that message and hopefully, yeah, yeah, provide just spaces and moments for like good conversation and for people to learn and ask questions and, yeah, I'm really looking, I'm really excited for my daughter's generation because even seeing all the cute babies out and about, like there's so many mixed babies. They're so freaking cute. And like, they're, I just, yeah, it's going to be amazing to see like what it's like for her as she grows up as a teenager and just like having friends with different experiences. So that's what I love about mm-hmm. it. Like even weirdly being like creating a mixed family to like take over the world, because not, not necessarily, <laughs> but it's, um, we yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for that. And that's what I, that's what I love about it. Just, 
you know, having like a extended mixed family. It's yeah, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's funny too, because when you, what I find, because I get to talk to so many mixed people is that I look as much like the people who come on my show as I look like my family, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, literally like we all look the same and none of us look the same both at yeah. the same time is happening. And, um, and there's, there's times when someone pops up on the screen and I'm like, you look like my aunt or you look like my uncle, you look like my cousin, or I look like you or something like that. You know, like, I think it, it happens so much. And it's, 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 for me, it's fun because I like to see what happens. That's the part I like about our genetics is that like randomly, oh, I can tell where I'm black and I can tell where I'm Japanese, but there's only one place yeah. I can tell I'm British and it's my earlobes because I'm British <laughs> oh. and for very thick earlobes and I have them, um, you know, like little things or, like that. I just I'm like a quarter like British. That. I need to check my earlobe now. Um, oh, another yeah. if they're yeah. a little bit yeah. thicker. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, another thing I love about being mixed, I just wanted to add is, because I speak a little Cantonese, I can understand mm -hmm. it like fairly well. I've caught people talking about me and it's awesome because I can't like, <laughs> really call them out or just or just listen in. And yeah, so there's been a few funny moments like, you know, store clerks or people at school and stuff where I'm like, I know what you're saying. And like a couple of times I've responded, you know, got shocked, you know, reactions. And so that's kind of the thing that's kind of fun, fun to that. do. Yeah, I would live yeah. for that because I know I'll never be mistaken for Japanese. So every now and then I throw it out. Like I happened to be at one of the cenotes here in Mexico the other day. It was like those cave water swimming holes. And behind me, there was a group of four Japanese folks and they were talking. And I was like, I haven't heard Japanese since I've been here. So I got excited. And so while it was not necessary for me to do, it was so obnoxious for me to do it. it you had to climb down these stairs and they're real rickety. So I looked back just so that they could know I was, I knew Japanese because I know they're not going to accept me as Japanese. I was like, like, I was just telling them to be careful going down the stairs. And they completely ignored me. But they eventually started laughing because they one of them was starting to talk and yeah. I could hear him say... Um, like, did she just say kioskete? And they're like, okay, okay, okay. you know, they all started laughing. <laughs> and uh, um, I was like, I get it. I know no one's going to think that I'm Japanese, but I just live for those moments of, of where it's just like, I know what you just did. <laughs> yeah. But I only, you know, I don't, I can only do a little bit of it. I can't, I can't go all the way. Yeah. But I was, I, yeah. if I That's look awesome. more like you, I would live for a moment like that. I yeah. <laughs> yeah it's great <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much for joining me on the show uh as you know once you're on the show you're one of my cousins now so thank you new cousin yeah. for joining me and i i really look forward to seeing what happens with your child <laughs> yeah. yeah me too <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> militantly mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me charmaine fury music is by david bogan the one you can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantlymixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.